Hello and welcome to Sweet Talk. I'm Richard Shanko, and thank you for tuning into this month's installment of Unidyne's C-Suite podcast. Over the course of each segment, we'll uncover how senior leaders in our partnered accounts foresee the future, the victories, and the challenges that frame organizational success. Joining me on today's program is Dee Coteau, CEO of AG Roads Health and Rehab, the Metro Atlanta's area's premier provider of therapy and rehab services, short-term recovery, and long-term care. AG Roads has a storied reputation in the senior living industry as one of Atlanta's oldest nonprofit. Today it has three locations serving 1,100 elders each year. It's great to have you on Sweet Talk, Deke. Thanks for making the time to join us. Thank you, Richard. I'm very, very happy to be here, and um, hopefully we'll enjoy this conversation today. I'm sure, Deke, knowing you, we will. So uh, I have a number of questions, if you don't mind, that would help our audience understand more about what's going on in the world in senior living. Uh, Many senior living communities can be found in rural or suburban areas, but HE Roads is unique that it's located in Metro Atlanta. As an executive, what do you feel are the unique challenges to operating senior living communities in urban areas, and what are the benefits for the residents? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Richard. And yes, we do um, serve the metro Atlanta area, three locations, um, Atlanta, Cobb, and Wesley Wood, which is in DeKalb County, are three of the major, of course, um, Atlanta metropolitan counties. Um, you know, mostly when we talk about about inner city buildings versus more, more rural type buildings, um, we, we typically go to staffing. Um, you know, a lot of people firmly believe that uh, the staffing challenges are greater in rural areas, um, which may be true um, from a standpoint of, of sourcing staff. You know, we definitely have an abundance of staff in, in the metro area. Um, but our challenge um, is in keeping staff when you have, um, you know, such dense, such populated communities and environments where we have competitors. My three buildings have um, multiple up to 10, 15 competitors within very short radius of, of, of the buildings. Um, so, then it, so then the challenge becomes how do you retain your staff? Um, the other thing that I've found um, working in, in metropolitan areas um, is that you, the, the cultural um, diversity um, definitely becomes a challenge in understanding um, as a leader, you know, you have to understand those those cultural dynamics um, which occurs with your staff, um, many of whom, is, in my case particularly, um, are African-American um, because of the markets that we serve as well. Um, so those, are, I would say, are some of the major things, I would say, um, that that kind of differentiate um, your, your urban from your rural um, rural areas, particularly on the staffing side of it. Right, and I presume even in today's day and age, uh, whether it's rural or uh, suburban or urban, we're, you're faced with the same challenges. It's just not like, our, you know, and just still finding staff, if I'm correct. 
Totally, totally. That's the that's the big challenge for all leaders in this industry, um, and I, I would imagine it's the same in a, in a, in rural areas and urban areas. It's 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 number one on our foresight. That's that's the challenge of the industry today. Correct. Uh, let, let's look at some other things. You've done a great job ensuring that AG Roads serves a resident population that reflects basically the real true diversity of Atlanta. What has been your success factor there? And as the U.S. becomes more racially and culturally diverse, what actions does the senior living industry need to adopt to meet the needs of families of color? Yeah, most definitely. I think it's a, it's a great question. Um, I think it is a, a reality um, of our society that, as you say, we are, we are becoming more diverse as a society. Um, and I think the senior living industry actually has been far behind um, in, in, in accepting and catching up to that reality. Um, AG Roads, and uh, you know, even before my tenure, AG Roads has done a very good job of really doing our mission, which is to care for underserved populations. Um, you know, m many of whom are diverse populations. Um, and and you know, in keeping with our mission, we 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 firmly believe um, that 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 demographic which exists within um, our communities are among those underserved. Um, and we 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 try our best certainly to do that. Um, I think the industry, and we, if, if even we go back to staffing, is on the brink um, of having to recognize. I think most of our um, it, it, most of our buildings, most of our technology, most of what we do, I do not think right now um, is prepared for diverse uh, for the diversity of the population as we see it. Um, and I, I personally think even the answer to some of our staffing woes and staffing concerns could be in us in us um, you know accepting diversity um, and realizing the c cultural you know ethnicities that we're seeing from different countries, different regions, um, different colors of, of people um, and and that is the healthcare industry. you know we are micro in the healthcare industry we are a microcosm um, for what diversity is. And I think senior living has to to, to catch up to date with that, um, or we'll be faced with even more um, issues or even more problems. We, you know, when we talk about diversity among our residents as well, um, I think we we have particularly nursing homes um, really have done a, a very bad job socially. What we've created is environments where we have almost like a bourgeoisie and a proletariat where we have um, mostly white residents in many cases um, and then mostly black staff taking care of them, um, mostly white um, leadership um, and then mostly black and people of color. Um, on the front lines of that, um, and, and it's a problem I think we just have to face uh, um, head-on, um, and we need to fix it. We need to correct it. Well, you know, I, I applaud you because if we don't acknowledge we have a problem, we can't fix any problems, and that sometimes it, it just takes individuals like yourself as leaders and us and all of us to really say we, 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 we can't change the past, but we certainly can change the future. So. Definitely. Uh, thank you for that approach. Uh, AG Road's Legacy of Care campaign seeks to pioneer a better model of care that can be reproduced across the state and elsewhere. And this one, I give you credit for because you're you're, you're you you rock and roll and you're a star now. As you <laughs> shared last year on CBS News Sunday morning, 
What have you learned from your years of experience, and more particularly, from the last 18 months of crisis that you'd like to bring to the world? Yeah, you know, these last 18 months have been transformative for the best of us and for the worst of us. Um, You know, I think as a leader, I have grown immensely. Um, I think as a person, I've grown immensely. Um, I think what I've learned and what the industry has learned is resilience. Um, And I think if we could have gotten through the last 18 months, I think there's there's very little um, that we cannot get through. Um, you know, even looking back, you know, you speak about that CBS um, interview and, and even looking back at the community that was highlighted in that interview, the, the Age Roads community, um, you know, we were talking about vaccine hesitation, um, and that community is a primarily African-American, and we were talking about the challenges um, of, with vaccine hesitation. Um, and I'm t- I'll tell you right now, as of today, um, that community actually has our highest vaccination rates. So um, I, I think we, we, we have come full circle, um, and, and I think COVID, as bad as it was um, and is, has strengthened us. Um, you know, my concern that I'm seeing now, um, and I think the last 18 months has caused that, um, is, you know, what I, I, I call it PTSD, um, but it is, it is just the absolute fear um, from our staff and residents um, that we are going to slip back into what happened over the last 18 months. Um, and that is a very fearful thing um, that, 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 quite honestly, I think is, is resting on the backs of our staff, resting on the backs of our residents. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm just, I just hope we, we can get past that. Um, but, the, you know, it's been, it's, the last 18 months have been indescribable for anyone working in the long-term care industry. What we have been through, um, the vilification that we have, have come under from not just the media, um, but from from a lot of consumers, um, and just the public in general who do not understand what we do. Um, and and I have made it my mission um, to, to, to start to speak out about that. I think, I think we in the industry need to fight that back. I actually just authored a book, Richard, um, which should be out later this month about that. The name of it is Brush Fire. Um, and I'm calling on long-term care leaders all around um, for us to do the same, for us to learn from these last 18 months, um, but never allow what happened and what has been said about this industry uh, happen again or to be said again. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think I would uh, second that of that. Uh, I called this these 18 months, you either grew or you just uh, shouldn't be involved in the business. And I've seen so many people, you know, yep. with what you described, PTSD. Uh, I, I just think people, you know, lives have been changed and it wasn't yeah. That oh they weren't trying, but I I recall at the beginning of this it was a playbook nobody ever established before. It wasn't yep. as if there was a a manual on COVID nineteen and you pulled totally. it off the shelf and say this is totally. what we do. Totally, Richard. It's funny you say that. So I actually was in Charlotte when the first nursing home cases hit the United States. I was actually touring a unit, a property that you guys manage. Um, that Unilite manages the food service um, in Charlotte. And I remember waking up that morning to the first cases on the news, waking up in the hotel to the first cases in that Washington state 
um, nursing home, and I, I got cold chills. In fact, now that I'm talking about it, I have goosebumps um, because I knew right then and there, like you said, that this was something that we did not have a playbook for. And I, 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 I suspected what was about to happen. Of course, I didn't know how bad it was going to get, but you are absolutely correct. This is something, you know, we, we stopped using the word novel. I don't know why we stopped using it because it was such a good word. This was something so new and so different and nothing we ever trained or prepared for um, in this industry. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and I'll piggyback on it, it's kind of like, you know, I always say everybody forgets what what it was, and I recall those that month of March and seven days a week, you know, you'd get a little sleep, and then we'd, you'd start, here we go again. Mm-hmm. And if you never lived it, you know, when somebody said, well, my office shut and I stayed home, we never shut down. You, you just, yeah. it wasn't as if you said to the residents, you know, you go, go home, we'll, we're right. going to close for 18 months, and we'll see you in 18 months. And it, yeah. it was... You know, it was one of the few industries that had resonance throughout the process. Even healthcare had had the ability to discharge patients. We don't That's have that. True. That's very true. That's so, very true. Yeah. Yep. So piggybacking on that, this has become, uh, you know, vaccination yeah. instead of being medical has become a politicized issue. Yeah. How have you, as a leader, effectively combated yeah. overcoming? vaccine hesitancy at AG Roads among residents yeah. and staff. And what do you feel our responsibilities as leaders regarding this? So, you know, as I'm sure you know, AG Roads was one of the first um, in the state, uh, definitely nursing homes in the state, to, to mandate the vaccine um, even before it was government mandated um, for nursing homes and healthcare environments. Um, and, and quite honestly, Richard, that decision was a, you know, people always ask me what has been my most difficult decision during COVID. Um, and, and the vaccination case, while it was a, I think the repercussions have, have made it so difficult, the decision was not difficult. Um, we have to get the vaccine and we have to mandate the vaccine in our environment quite simply because of the precious elders that we take care of and their vulnerability. It's not about us, the individual. It's about them and their vulnerabilities. Um, Thankfully, we started months ago with education. And I think so much of it comes back to to education and, and how do we how ha, have we been educating our staff? I I had town halls in each of our communities, several town halls, met with staff individually, um, you know, really trying my best to educate them about these vaccines. Um, just last week, um, AG Roads hosted a, a, a Jane Morgan, who's a local um, expert. Um, she's actually the head of of the COVID tax force at Piedmont Hospital. Um, and, and, you know, she was educating AG Road staff and leadership. So that, that, that idea of education just has to continue. We have to continue to educate folks as to vaccines and their importance. Um, we would not have a society we have today without vaccines. Now, I understand the staff's concerns completely, and I understand individual choice completely. Um, but like you said, this thing has been politicized, and it's been used as a, a political volleyball, which I think has led to, to confusion. You know, I think, I think the, more, the more confusion comes into play, that causes hesitancy. 
um, because it, it, it blurs that education that we are trying to do. It blurs the reality, and I think a lot of our staff are confused. Um, happy to say with tomorrow being the last day of our deadline, um, we have lost several staff members, um, but, but as of today, we, you know, we are 90-plus um, resident vaccinated, and thankfully I'm able to say 90-plus percent staff vaccinated as well. Um, and, and, that, and that includes our partners like, like Unidine that work in our communities as, as well. Um, so we're just going to have to keep educating our staff, um, even the staff that are coming off, that will come off our, our um, rosters, our schedules tomorrow because they're not vaccinated. You know, we're not terminating these people. We're going to give these individuals ample opportunities to come on back to the workforce, and we're going to still keep educating them as to the importance of this. And it is because each of us have a responsibility to those residents that we care for. Um, I don't know about many other people, but we at AG Roads had 251 COVID cases, and we had 26 deaths, and we had one staff member die as well. And those days were the worst days of every one of our lives. And we cannot go back to that. I cannot with good conscience sit in my seat in my position and allow that to happen again if there's any way I can avoid it. And I think the vaccination is a clear path to avoiding it. I think the statistics behind vaccination in forget about the community, look at our, look at our nursing homes. The statistics with vaccination, they came in in December, we started vaccinated individuals, and by February, literally COVID had dried up in our nation's nursing homes. Wow. And that's because of the vaccinations. So I think the evidence is there. You know, I've done it. I've got my vaccine, um, you know, publicly. Um, you know, my, my hand has not withered away. Richard, I'll tell you the best, the best gift I've ever been given. Um, my, my wife and one of my daughters were, were vaccine hesitant. Um, myself, my son, and my other daughter were all in for the vaccine. Um, I came home a few months ago and noticed on my daughter's arm, I noticed the Band-Aid. And I'm like, what? And then and she looked at me with a shy face, and she told me, yeah, her and her mom went and got the vaccine today as, uh. a, gift to me, as a gift to me because they understand what I'm saying and what I've been preaching and how I've been trying to educate um, you know, people. And, and they knew if something happened to them, you know, with me who was, who was preaching this and really encouraging this, um, you know, what would that be like? And they're all better for it today, and it is the best gift I have ever been given in my life. Wow, that's wonderful. You know, I, it, it was interesting, and I share the same, uh, uh, that it's education, and this isn't a political thing. You lived it with death illnesses in your facility. And when somebody says to me, well, there really isn't any of that, I said, well, I'd like to bring you to any uh, one of our senior living facilities, and I think you'd be very shocked that this is not the media. This is reality. This isn't reality TV. <laughs> so that uh, – and, and I think the other part, Deke, that I, I just heard on the news, it was kind of interesting on vaccinations – Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes time's going to have to take a little place where people feel more comfortable. But if I said to somebody, you have an option to get a polio vac vaccination, mm -hmm. uh, 
you'd be hard-pressed to take it as an option because back in the old days when it had just come out, there were people that were hesitant and then yep. got polio. And yep. uh, it, it's not a kind of uh, virus that you want. It, it, it's, it's, it's more crippling than even COVID. <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah. I, th- I think we've got to get this straight yeah. um, yep. and um, make sure, and, and I applaud you for your 100%. Yeah. We organizationally have required it as of 11-1. We're a little one month. And we've lost okay. some people. Who And I said, but I can't put at risk any of you and any of the residents. It's just yep. uh, I can sleep at night now. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah. Hey, so, Richard, one, one point you just touched on, too, and, if, um, and, I, and I would beg any listener to this to understand. I, I completely get the fears and the concerns um, with the vaccine long term, you know, how, how am I going to be phys- physically long term? Um, but we have evidence now as to getting COVID and those long term effects, which seem to be lasting, and we, we think it's going to last for a long, long time. So you know, so so get the vaccine. You know, we know that you can have very long term effects after having COVID. Um, so, so all the more reason to get it. Yeah, I'll, I, I second that. And I mean, if you and I want to do a, an advertisement, let's go do it because you're right. I mean, it's uh, silly that somebody doesn't want to get it. But uh, so another neat honor, you were named one of the best nursing homes in America by Newsweek in 2021. Yeah. Uh, A.G. Rhodes specializes in person-directed care for those living with dementia. How has food played a role in treatment of memory care residents? Yeah, huge. Um, you know, the, the the first thing when I think about food and dining and, and, and health in general is I think I think good food, healthy dining environments, um, you know, it it, 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 it it makes us healthy and it makes us live longer. Um, and I think in our environment, we see it. I think, you know, whenever we hear you know, someone is ill, someone is sick. Um, one of my biggest concerns are when they stop eating. Um, that was my biggest concern during COVID, when with the loss of taste, people had lost the taste. You know, that's when you start seeing people go downhill, when they're not eating healthily. So I think, I think food and dining is a huge um, opportunity from that standpoint. Um, the other part of it is, to me, socialization. You know, in our environment, I think we take for granted how important that you know, those hours of the day when we are able to, to break bread together and commune together. That was another one of my concerns in COVID, you know, when we locked people in rooms and we were not able to get them out to those dining areas um, and, and, and have them commune and fellowship. You know, that is is one of the highlights of living in any senior living environment. And you could step in and see it. You could see that socialization over the meal you know that's a human need in my in my um estimation um so so meals have been and and would i think continue to be 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 critical to to any thriving senior living community richard oh wow i would uh, wholeheartedly agree that uh, you know and you know dementia is a horrible I'll call it part of your life if you ever yep. and uh it's kind of not the reversible type of disease, if we can call it that, or condition, but uh, we need to make people feel good. And I I think what you just said, food is a large part of that. 
Oh, yep. and I, in, in the interest of time, I have one more question. Uh, firstly, congratulations on joining the National Board of Directors for Leading Age this year. Yep. How will you use that advocacy platform to transform aging services, and what are your priorities? Yeah, well, um, you know, I serve on several nonprofit boards. I, I will say leading age um, has been one of the most fulfilling experiences I have, I've, have ever had in board work. Um, they do such great work and such great work on the advocacy level. Um, I think we need organizations like, like Leading Age, and I'm happy to be part of it, um, really to stretch our voices. Um, we need to, to, to advocate, um, not just from on the political side, which we, we have to play a part in that game as well, and let our legislators know um, what's happening in this industry and why we need help. And Leading Age is a huge part of that voice. But we also need our, what I would call community advocacy, um, and Leading Age also does a great job at this. Um, again, to get that message back out about these stigmas that we have with nursing home environments, with long-term care living environments, where people think they are these bleak um, environments where the, the end result is death. Um, and we need to stretch our voice there as well and let the community know that that is not true. Um, and these environments actually keep people alive and actually make the last days of many people's lives, um, you know, gratifying. Um, and I'm, I'm just happy to, to, to be part of that, and Leading Age has, has given me part of that pulpit. Um, we have a great leader in Katie Sloan, as you know, um, and I don't know much people better serve to do that um, as, as well. Um, so we do a great work, particularly on the nonprofit um, advocacy side. Um, and the other thing that is great about Leading Age and that voice is that, you know, my view on, on a lot of the critical issues we have with this uh, industry now is if the nonprofits can't fix it, then no one can, because we are in this business as nonprofits for the right reasons. We're not in it um, for, for 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 profit or for for um, you know to to to, to bleed the, the homes and the senior living environments of anything. You know we are in it for caring for our residents and very importantly, Richard, I want to make this point: caring for the staff who we see are essential workers who we have always known. We didn't have to wait for them to be called essential now because of a crisis. We have always known. That, that, that they are essential. You know, I learned a long time ago in running nursing homes, the simple formula um, to running a successful nursing home, one simple formula um, is taking care of your staff. This industry has taught us that the resident is always right. That is not true. The resident, no one is always right. Um, the simple formula is that we have to cherish our staff, we have to respect them, we have to show them that. And once we do that, then they take care of our residents, even when we're not there to watch. That's that's the simple formula to it. And and organizations like Leading Age, I think, recognize this, um, and and are making the staff the critical priority. Our workforce is is a critical priority for our industry going forward. Wow. Well, talking of Leading Age, I'll de firstly thank you for your time today. Uh, What's wonderful that leading age, uh, this is going to be the uh, the national show is going to be in Atlanta, and I get to see you down in Atlanta in your hometown. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Sweet Talk and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. 
you clearly have a full plate, no pun intended, supporting the great good for underserved aging Americans. Our listeners learned today that AG Rose is the Atlanta area's most trusted provider of care for seniors. And personally, you make me very proud that Unidon is proud to partner with you. It's clear that this institution is in great hands under your stewardship. Thank you all for joining today's podcast. We will reconnect next month as Sweet Talk brings you industry insights while providing intimate access to senior living key thought leaders like Deke. Stay safe and be well. And Deke, thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much. Okay, and have a great day. Thanks so much. Be safe. Take care.